Good Thursday morning, everyone. As usual, Doug Farrar here, editor of the Touchdown Liar site on the USA Today Sports Media Group Network, along with our five-tool guy, Mark Schofield, as always. And Mark, you got a labrum thing this yeah, week? Yeah, I got, I got a tour. I've got a torn labrum in both shoulders. I need Baker's harness. Apparently, the type in this week has gotten to it. So, uh, as long as your dad doesn't release the video. Yeah, we, yeah, Dad. When you listen to this, please don't release any videos unless he's pretty active on social media. My father is extremely active on social media, and, and he doesn't hold back, which I like about him. Certainly does not hold back. Um, but yeah, um, Dad, don't release any Twitter videos um, unless you run it by me first, because apparently, you know, people will pick up on that. That's the thing. That's the thing. Okay, so tonight's game, Jets at Colts, the Super Bowl three rematch. Uh, R.I.P. Tom Maddy, one of the greatest running backs of time. Uh, so let's talk about Mike White, the reigning AFC Offensive Player of the Week, which, of course, you know, I think we talked about the uh, Jets-Bengals game for 25 seconds on last week's podcast, but Mike White, uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, his 607 passing yards in his first two NFL games ranked seventh in NFL history. And there's like, you know, Justin Herbert and also Patrick Ramsey, so it's not predictive at all. Uh, four touchdowns to four picks against New England and Cincinnati. The Bengals were backing off a lot more than I expected. I don't know what the Bengals were. Very little pressure, a lot of back off. And, and I heard Greg Cosell say, well, maybe the plan was to, you know, throw zones at, at White and let him figure it out. But when you're not. I mean, when it's just drop zone, uh, the, the country cover three, as as uh, some people like to say, um, I'm not I'm I'm not trying to minimize what White did. I thought he had a good game. I also thought that anything under ten yards in the air was a gimme. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, when I do my sort of three throws things, I try to first isolate throws over ten yards because I think that's kind of where you know good quarterbacks make their money. There weren't a lot. I mean, they really sort of lived in that under 10-yard range, which is crazy because he threw for f- over 400 yards. First time for a Jets quarterback to do that since I was in law school. So that's Well, 37 completions, game. that'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, it, was, it was an extremely static coverage. I mean, when I put that video up, I had more Bengals fans screaming about the born staple static defense than Jets fans being like, hey, this is really cool, which kind of tells you where people came down on it. I mean, White played well. He took what they give them. He made quick reads and quick decisions and things like that. I think the more interesting thing, at least to me from where I sit about the Jets right now, is John Beck. Because it, it, a yeah. lot of intrepid Jets fans were like, was that John Beck on the sideline at a Jets hat with a headset? And sure enough, it came out that, that he's now either officially on staff or in some sort of, kind of sort of consultancy role. And he's Zach Wilson's private quarterback coach. And for all of us who have been saying that you have to do things to help your young rookie quarterback. And yes, Mike White played well and he might play well tonight, but Zach Wilson is the future. I mean, you drafted him second overall draft capital tells you he's going to get opportunities to continue to keep that job. He's their guy. Are we going to see this new wave now where it's not just you try to like run the offense that they'd like to run and get them familiar plays and things like that. Do we start seeing all these private quarterback coaches get consultancy gigs with the guys that they coached to help them help the young quarterback develop? Uh, my answer would be, why wouldn't you, if you've got a yeah. guy, if, if it's Palmer or Beck or you know, Jordan Palmer, you know, Quincy Avery, whoever these, you know, whoever the guy is, these performance coaches. And this is the guy who's helping your quarterback, you know, with his feet, with his mechanics, with his mind, whatever. 
why wouldn't you be consulting him if you're the offensive coordinator or the head coach? I think it's, I think. Yeah. It's, it, it's yeah. almost one of those things that we didn't think about it until it happened. And we're like, Oh wait, yeah, that way. Why didn't this happen? Sense. Why didn't yeah. this happen sooner? And so, you know, you start wondering, like you said, are we going to see Quincy Avery on the sideline? Will Malik Willis goes, are we going to see Tony Rossiopi on the sideline, wherever Kenny Pickett goes. I mean, that might be the sort of next wave. So that's to me, something really intriguing about the Jets right now. By the way, everyone I've talked to about him, including you is, Way, 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 way high on Kenny Pickett by the stock now. Yeah, I mean, the, not to sort of veer too much into draft talk, hand-sized Twitter is going to be a war zone when it comes to Kenny Pickett. You know, because when is it not a war zone? It's, but it's going to be more so. You know, And there are going to be people, be people saying, look, he can't play in cold weather. He plays at Heinz Field. Like... <sighs> Whenever you do your own work, listeners, on Kenny Pickett, look for missed throws, look for fumbles in the pocket, look for things like that. And if it worries you about his hand size, then okay. But don't just look at the sheer number and say the guy can't play. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Mike White, by the way, against the Bengals on throws of 10 air yards or more. Uh, seven, uh, six of seven for 86 yards. Uh, so seven of his complete seven of his thirty-seven completions yeah. were over ten air yards. I'm going to go to twenty real quick here. I bet it's very, very, very low. I don't I know if see. you're going to find anything. Uh, let's see. Huh? Not a damn one. Yeah, none. No, no throws. So six. I'm going to go sixteen real quick here because that's what the NFL deems as explosive. Yeah, and I bet there isn't much of that either. There might be one. There are none. Oh, okay. I didn't know so, how that, that late touchdown. I didn't know if that got to 16 or not. It was, I think it was just under. So the Colts, uh, they lost Julian Blackman, the safety. Great player in late October. They have become – they've played a little more man this year, and they're obviously playing more single high now because, you know, your best safety yeah. is out. Um, you know, good defense. Uh, best run defense in the NFL. Kenny Moore is great. Um they're not going to do what the Bengals did. They're not going to just sit back there. And the, right. the perception of the Colts defense is, oh, it's too high zone. So it's, you know, this thing. That's not really – Matt Eberflus has done a nice job of adjusting to the personnel he both has and does not have. Right. Um, <clears throat> I'm not saying Mike White's going to throw seven interceptions and, you know, look horrible, but it's not going to be a Nathan Peterman game. But I don't think Mike White is going to have an easy – time as he did against the Bengals. And I still, I, I don't know what the Bengals were doing. I, I would yeah. love to know. Um, I haven't read their transcripts this week. I would love to know from Lou Amaruno, their defensive coordinator, like why, what was the plan here? Because I, I mean, I, I think what you said from, you relayed from Greg, I think it's probably right. Just, you know, drop into zones, make him read stuff out, you know. Hopefully. Well, yeah, but if you're going to have him read stuff out, do something to at least obscure or confuse and, his looks. And the other Don't thing just is, sit there and, you know, wait for the guy underneath, wait for the guy underneath, and it's just death by a thousand paper cuts. I don't understand that process in today's NFL. It's not like it's a rookie quarterback making his first start. You know, Mike White's been around a while. I mean, it's not like he's going to be confused by, like, spot drop cover through. Is he the greatest quarterback in Western Kentucky history? Absolutely. For now, that might now. change. Oh. Yeah. If you who, like, who, who if you like somebody that's going to throw 700 times a game, um, Zappy, the, the kid at Western Kentucky right now, from I think it was Sam Houston State. He was a trans graduate transfer. Um, I was actually watching him last night. I mean, he's intriguing. 
It's a, Sam, it's a, see, now you're just making up colleges. I'm just making up players. Come on. But yeah, Bailey Zappi. <laughs> Bailey Zappi. Yep. Uh, so, Colts offense. Carson Wentz threw two interceptions against the Titans. Both were horrible. I mean, yep. we're talking about the where Bud Dupree came in and he just went. Uh, the pick to buy it, I think, was even worse. And you hear these people, it's, it's, just, it's box score scouting, which a lot of people, oh, he's only thrown three interceptions. So, if you go back to the Niners game, there were at least three interceptable passes that weren't picked off. He led the league in adjusted interceptions, football outsider stat. Um, where FO goes with, okay, here were his actual interceptions. Here were the ones that were his fault. Here are the ones that were dropped, you know, all that thing. Um, to me, he, he is always, he is who he is always is a random quarterback who makes really weird decisions when under pressure and when he perceives pressure. So whether the pressure is there or not, something goes off of Lentz's head. And I think this has been true his entire career. I think it's happening to Mahomes a ton. We'll talk about that later. But I think, you know, if you're the Colts and you're looking at that long-term plan of, is this our guy? You have to accept this is who Carson Wentz is. You're not yeah. going to change him. That no. That's, this is, you know, what I always said with Jameis um, until this year, and unfortunately his year is over. Um, it's that rogue gene. And some quarterbacks have it. And you cannot usually, <clears throat> although the Saints did with Jameis to a point, you can't usually train it or coach it out of them. It's, it's going to show up at the worst possible time. And I think Wentz is one of those worst possible time players. That's just yeah. who he is. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the two interceptions, it's hard to see. Well, I know the one against the Niners get changed to a fumble, that, that play near the goal line, but that. Oh, that's right. That's, so that was, a, yeah. So there was that, which was a fumble. And then I counted three passes that should have been intercepted and weren't. Yeah. But, but as bad as that, pick slash fumble was against the 49ers the two he had laid against the Tennessee Titans were absolutely worse and, and I saw well, the one where like, Dupree came in and he was in the end zone and I get you're trying to own it and, and maybe in your head if I throw it away no matter what the rest will call intentional grounding and it's a safety so you I, know, maybe you give him a, a sort of a pass on that I, I can't because it's just like I, I haven't seen Carson Wentz over the, the years now. I, I'm not sure if his mind went there. I'm really not sure. I'm sure it was more. I'm trying to just get this out and make a play because that that's who Carson Wentz is. That that's it's like Super Bowl 46. Brady took the sack in the end, or he, you know, the yeah, the, throw it away. On their opening drive. Because his thought, I'm sure in his head was two points is better than seven. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but I'm not sure I can attribute that sort of level of Thought process to once. And oh, the second no, interception. Not, well, just, I'm, I'm, I'm attributing it to Brady, not once. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I mean, I'm not going to go there with once. I mean, the buyer interception, you just stared it down the entire way and you have both guys open underneath for a check down. I just, I don't get the thought process there. This is, like you said, this is who once is and it's who he's always going to be. This is going to be the take the check down uh, podcast, I think. Yeah. Because we're going to talk a lot about the Chiefs. Yep. Uh, Browns at Bengals. So Odell Beckham excused from practice for the second straight day. I have a feeling it's going to be excused in this game too. Yep. Um, I wrote about this. Uh, put up a tape piece on Beckham October fifteenth. Why? Can't, why aren't they feeding him the ball? <laughs> and my observation: there are a few things are happening. They're using him as a decoy to get other receivers open, and I get that to a point. I mean, the yeah, Chiefs yeah. use Tyree Kill to get other guys open. Okay, that makes sense. Um. You know, they've they've had some easy touchdowns because everyone goes to Odell. Well, when everyone goes to Odell, 
that should tell you something. Yeah. Um, so they're using him as a decoy to get other receivers open. They put him in kind of Jarvis Landry positions as a short and intermediate receiver when Landry was hurt. And that's not really what he is. You know, he's not the run the perfect little slant five yards or the, you know, the half crosser or whatever. He's not your underneath guy in the combo. That's, but they just decided to do that anyway. They're a 12 and 13 personnel team. They're a run first team. So it's kind of like with DK Metcalf with the Seahawks. It doesn't matter how much you can do. You're only going to get the opportunities you get. Right. Um, and the chemistry with Mayfield isn't there and hasn't been. I mean, the video, I didn't need to watch the video Beckham's dad put up because I watched the tape. I mean, it, yeah. it's a problem. So this isn't Odell Beckham's dad being Odell Beckham's dad or, or Beckham being Beckham. It is a real problem. And if the Browns were to utilize him as a consistent ISO deep threat, he's proven in limited doses that he can still do that very well. Uh, he had a big time catch against the Vikings. He had another one against the Bears where, yeah, he looks like him. Um, I, you know, I, I know he's had a history of material behavior, but I think right now he's watching his career dwindle down in an offense where he's an outsider for all kinds of reasons. And he's pissed off. And I don't really blame him. Yeah. I mean, the situation's kind of gone past the breaking point, I'd say. Yeah. And when you've got Baker out there talking about the video and how he, you know, it hurt him and, you know, he thinks some sort of discussion or conversation or apology would make somebody. Sense. Well, somebody, and I can, I, there are two people I can guess who. Yeah. Um, you know, would you accept an apology? Like, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 that relationship is fractured beyond repair. It's over. I mean, trade deadline was what Tuesday, kids? Yeah. Because um, Stefanski's not going to, oh, well. Odell Beckham is pissed. I need to change my entire offense and do all this. No, he's not going to do that. Because he said, and Van Pelt has said, and the OC and Baker has said, yeah, he he's a run blocker. He's a. This is how they want to use him as a kind of like how I I feel weird even mentioning the name. How the Raiders used their deep receiver last year, right? um, To open things up for Darren Waller, and until yeah. I, I, I'll have a, a very small amount to say about that. Um, it's just, it's horrible. Um, yeah. But anyway, getting back to the Browns. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I think this is, <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't trade him. I, I, I don't know what you're, you, you've made it clear that you don't want this guy to be who he is. So why, why is he on your team? Why didn't you I get mean, a, why didn't you get a 20, 22, six round pick for him? Maybe they couldn't. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe because I mean, you know, he's under contract for a while. And it's a big deal. I mean, it's it's not a small number. Teams, when you are seeing this play out from a distance, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Even if you're the Detroit Lions that have a need at the wide receiver position, even if you're the New Orleans Saints who have a need at the wide receiver position, and I know there were some discussions there, how much are you willing to give up for a guy that? maybe is going to be frustrated with the level of play from your quarterback, say six weeks down the road. Well, here's the thing. Beckham's contract, uh, 2021, there's a prorated 15 million set 15.75 million for this year. Yep. Uh, the cap hits in 2022 and 2023 are 15 million, but there's no dead money if you cut him. So there is that none. Yeah. I mean, you're, and I don't, you know, the lions, I mean, I don't know if you think you're pissed off now, wait until you're, you know, 
wait until you're wide ass open and Jared Goff is scared to throw right. the ball. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> um, so yeah, I would expect the Bengals to be, to play more aggressive defense than they did against the Jets because it couldn't be any less aggressive. Um, yeah, I mean, Awuzier, why, why do you play him 10 years off and use the best press corner in the NFL this year? I'm Again, that gets us back to the Mike White discussion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brown for the Cowboys. Cooper Rush, it was backup week. Good Lord. So per next-gen stats, Cooper Rush was 9 of 16 for 224 yards, two touchdowns and a pick when throwing the ball 10 or more air yards. When under pressure, he was 5 of 8 for 139 yards and a touchdown. His 224 passing yards of throws of 10 yards – 10 air yards and 139 passes as well under pressure, both marked season highs for the Cowboys. And this was against the Vikings defense that currently after that game ranks fourth in defensive DVOA and third against the pass. Um, what happened? I watching that live rewatch. When, when you're I, saying that a backup had season high, important numbers, and obviously we're not Dak Prescott is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. We're not, let, let's you know dispense with whatever. Um, that, what happened? You did yeah, the three I mean, throws on him. What happened? Yeah, I mean it was three plus because I had the Cedric Wilson throw, which was better than anything the Cooper Rush did. But you you know you had the deep post against. The so they just center. got they're they're the real QB factory is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, the Dallas Cowboys are actually the QB factory. Um, you had the deep post to Wilson, which was just you know the underneath defender didn't do a good job enough good enough job collided and carry in that route. You know, the static defender, statue defender, stuff like that. When you get that, you know, underneath man cover two. And it just to interrupt, open. I don't, I was surprised to see the Vikings that high in defensive DVOA because from what I've seen, their secondary, they too. don't, they don't communicate well. No, there are no, a lot of reasons. And, and the other thing, look, to his credit, Rush was very well on sort of out routes, comeback routes, stop routes, throwing those with time and rhythm and anticipation. What, what the Vikings seemed to do to me was to give a lot of cushion. They didn't want to give him anything cheap over the top. They were giving guys like Lamb and to a certain extent Cooper some cushions, and he was taking advantage of that. Um, you know, what did nice, we just say about the Bengals? Yeah, exactly. I, um, is, it, nice, is this like an NFL plan against you know average to below average backup quarterbacks? Maybe. I mean, maybe it's sort of in a sense. Oh, this is an interesting comparison, but to what teams are doing to the Chiefs? Like, don't give them something easier over the top. Like, don't give them the cheap one yard. I mean, one shot play drive touchdown. Like, make them earn it and. Yeah. Maybe that's what you're going to do to backups, and maybe that's what we're seeing work against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs right now. Although, again, we keep teasing it. We're going to talk about them a lot. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, Rushman did some things that were nice, um, time and rhythm throws and things like that. The seven-stop conversion late to CeeDee Lamb was a nice read and throw. Used his eyes pretty well in that play. So, I mean, it was a good game. It was a good effort. He did his job. But, yeah, this is that show. Uh, if the Cowboys have at least 400 yards of offense against the Broncos on Sunday, which, uh, good bet. Yeah. Uh, they will become the sixth team ever to host to total at least 400 yards in seven of their first eight games of the season for NFL research. Uh, that would be the 13 Denver Broncos, the 07 Patriots, the 2014 Colts, the 2000 Rams, the 83 Chargers, Team Coriel, and most of those teams uh, did pretty well in the post. So yeah. we'll see. And the defense is playing. Um, I think the defense – it's funny. I was watching Xavier Woods in that game. <laughs> I'm like, can you imagine when you had an, uh, you had Trevon Diggs, you had Shadobia Awuzie, and you had Xavier Woods. 
I don't think we've really gone back and looked at how bad Mike Nolan was as a defensive coordinator last year. Yeah. When you yeah. have those three guys, those guys who are messing it up, can mess. you imagine that those three guys under Dan Quinn, nobody would ever complete a pass. Right. That, that's that's unfortunate that those three guys didn't get to play together because Diggs was obviously a rookie last year um, with a defensive coordinator who wasn't overcomplicating things and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but. Yeah, Cowboys looking good. Broncos, uh, obviously rebuilding. Obviously. Yep. I mean, you move Vaughn Miller at the deadline. You are you assembling know. draft picks to move up and get, you know, Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or whoever, which, fine. Which, okay. Yeah, I mean, you've you've misevaluated quarterbacks for a number of years. Uh, the guy who was responsible for that is gone. George yep. Payton, he, he, they were going to take Patrick Sertan because that's who Vic Fangio wanted. You get the guy your coach wants. Um, and Sertan has been incredible. Yep. But you still need a quarterback. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, speaking of teams that need quarterbacks, Texans at Dolphins, the Deshaun Watson Bowl, I guess. Um, so I had an interesting conversation with someone whose opinion I greatly respect. Someone who's been doing this a long time. Um, called me because I had said something on Twitter about Tua's offense doing him no favors. And uh, this person said, well, you know, Tua's really not a good quarterback. And this person mentioned, you know, throwing with timing and anticipation, um, the lack of a deep arm, the lack of real mobility. And what I told him was, yeah, if you're a shade off white, everyone assumes you can run. Right. Um, I always found that hilarious with James Winston. I mean, James Winston runs like me. Yeah, he, he can't really move. <laughs> Not, not his thing. Um, but the, the the Dolphins offense, as I've seen it this year, it's a lot of heavy personnel without a real run game identity. Yeah. Where the hell is Jalen Waddle? Because when they got Waddle, I thought, okay, this is what Tua needs. He needs a guy who can break open and, you know, find the easy openings. In, in, and, and that's Waddle's game. And Waddle, by the way, is not one of these 5'10", 180 pound, you know, no. little Cole Beasley guys who, you know, just dries up and blows away if you hit him. He's a big guy. He can make a contested catch. He should be even over Parker. He should be your, your receiver one. And it's like, where is he? So I don't know what the Dolphins plan is on offense. I really don't know what their plan is on defense. They're kind of out of it. Um, the offense right now, it's it, it's just dinky RPOs and and the whole thing is kind of circling the drain. And when you have Stephen Ross, the owner, apparently getting involved in non-disclosure stuff with with Watson, yeah. trying to make that, they were desperate to get Deshaun Watson, couldn't make it happen. Um, and you can Brian Flores can say, well, two was our guy, and I keep saying it. Well, yeah, but what you say and what you do, uh, two yeah. different things. Where are you with Tua? I mean, not now, but like in a better offense, what could he be and what would that better offense look like? You know, in a better offense, what could he be? I mean, I, I, I'm still not ready to sort of say, look, Tua's done and dusted and it's over. But I, I do think that what you're going to have to see from him is sort of the gun spread version of Tennessee, I'd say, which is an offense that relies heavily on run game play action. Maybe the gun spread version. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe the gun spread version of Cleveland, the gun spread version of this sort of McVeigh Shanahan outside zone, wide zone, where it's, it, you're, you're really using personnel 
I mean, you might have to prop him up in many ways, like Sean McVay did Jared Goff for those years, because yeah. he's just he's not right now somebody that's going to read something out that you're going to trust to read the concept to come and hit the backside dig that you're going to trust to work through stuff with his mind. It's going to be, can you scheme his first read open? Like, and I know, look, that's what play design should be. That's what offensive coordinators. If you can't, do, why can't, but, well, okay. Jillian Waddle again, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I, what, well, what they have 17 uh, offensive coordinators down in Miami. I mean, it, I love when we get to this point of the season and we start to realize just how much stuff we got wrong because so many of us were like, look, Miami's going to be very good. Like, you know, they were almost a playoff team last year. Like two could take a step forward. We just got that entire situation wrong. And Brian Flores is out there saying, yeah, two is our guy, but ownership wants to go in a different direction. And apparently you read reporting ownership wanted two to begin with, you know, and they sort of forced Tua on this organization, on yeah. this coaching staff. And now the coaching staff is trying to stick by the guy and the ownership's going in a different direction. And so, you know, it's, it's just an absolute mess right now. I, I think there's a pathway for Tua to be good, but I don't think it happens in Miami at this point. Yeah, I like the Shanahan idea. I like the, you know, some some aspects of Baltimore is not the, the mobility stuff, not the Lamar right. stuff, but the, the, the flash throws off of multiple run concept play action, power counter trap play action. And so if you, if you have an integrated play action game, uh, Tennessee with under Arthur Smith, because uh, Tannehill's not, we'll get into Tannehill's play action numbers in a bit. Cause it's, yeah. it's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I just, I don't get it, but whatever. Uh, Texas. I don't get it either. But... Inner Chris Berman, sad trombone noise. Yeah. Falcons at Saints. So, Mark, the Saints defense is officially awesome. Yeah, and last week, oh, you know, I don't think they have some sort of secret potion against Tom Brady and what happens. Well, the thing about the the three Brady games, and first of all, they made Aaron Rodgers miserable in week one. Um, Bunch of too high, weird pressures. I mean, they the thing about the Saints, and this is worth mentioning, they were, I think they ranked, yeah, they ranked third in DVOA this season on defense. They ranked second in defensive DVOA last season. None of the other teams, the Steelers, Washington Rams, and Buccaneers are in the top five this year. This year it's the Bills, the Cardinals, the Saints, the Vikings, and the Colts. Um, and I, I, I really would, I, I've, I'm going to have to ask Aaron Schatz, like Vikings really, but anyway, yeah. um, and defensive variance from year to year is much higher than offensive variance. So if you're looking for head coaches this offseason, kids, you might want to take a look at Dennis Allen. But um, so Brady, the three games they've had against Brady, and I have these numbers. Um, I mean, off the top, he's got 17 picks since he's been in Tampa Bay, seven against New Orleans. Yeah. he Tampa Bay is 21 and four against every other team they faced uh, with Brady and 0 and three against the Saints. Yeah. And that's allowed 0 and three. And Brady threw four touchdowns, yes, but they really. Um, one of the interceptions was in, um, uh, cover one. Yep. Yeah. The, the PJ Williams one was in two man. And, uh, I have a quote from PJ Williams. <laughs> He's yeah, it was a play I sure was looking for coming into this game. Like, Oh, I'm going to pick this off. He was a free player. Like, a he was a high robber kind of, and he was just reading the quarterback. And I don't know what Brady was that. like, I would expect that throw from a Tua or a Kirk cousins, like, or a Carson Wentz, like you, He's up twenty. He's up there, like waiting for you to throw that ball there, and you do it. I mean, Brady has to know what that was. 
Yeah, I, I'm sure he did. I mean, the the first interception, it was kind of the you got to do the unex, unexpected to Brady because it's one, and the guy over two, you know, just reads, you know, Chauncey Gardner, he just sort of reads his eyes, collides with two. Brady's thinking he could throw the out to three. He was breaking to the out from the inside because yep. defender Oven was playing with inside leverage. He's not expected to see, you know, Chauncey Gardner to peel off that. And I know some Tampa Bay fans were upset because, you know, Chauncey Gardner Johnson is just riding that guy upfield. I mean, collided with him the whole way. You could probably throw a flag there for something, but they didn't. But Brady's not expecting that. The second one, the PJ Williams one, though, I mean, you're right. It's clear too high with man underneath at the snap. Like Brady's trying to throw that crosser right to left. You've got to know he's going to come down and read your eyes because it's three by one. And when one goes shallow immediately, which is what happens, PJ Williams has no immediate threats and he can immediately get his eyes to the backside and look to poach. And just, but yeah. what Williams said, it sounded a lot like what Janoris Jenkins said after his pick six of Brady on a quick out in week one of the 2020 Brady's first game with the Buccaneers yeah. where Brett, there was no off season. They didn't have time to say, Oh, Hey Tom, what do you like in new England? Which is why it took the offense like half the season to get together. Um, and, and Jenkins said, yeah, we knew that they ran all these quick outs with Jameis. I think only Jared Goff had thrown more quick outs than Jameis the year before. Um, so it's, it's man, heavy man, some zone, a lot of match. And they're just so good. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're very so good. Every, every one of those. So every one of those three Brady games, there's not a blueprint. There were three different blueprints. And the first yeah. one was, Brady trying to fit into Bruce Arians' offense is just not happening. The second one, the 38 to three loss was we had better figure some stuff out because he's out. He's overthrowing Scotty Miller by like uh, five stadiums and and no one was on the same page, but this is the Brady who has been tearing the league apart with the pre-snap motion, with the play action, with the favorable route concepts that he prefers. And yes, he threw four touchdown passes, but they still shut him down when they needed to. Yeah. Yeah. It's just an incredibly impressive defense, and it's incredibly it's an impressive defense over time, which is where yes, the players are great, but that to me is when you have to start looking at Dennis Allen. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I, mean, I, 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 I think in terms of offseason interviews, Dennis Allen should be the top of most list at this point. Uh, now the Saints have a problem with their quarterback situation because they kind of don't have one. It's Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill, we don't know. Sean Payton's, you know, playing coy, like, oh gosh, we have to game plan for one or other of these guys. Right. Um, here's what would help if, uh, the Falcons could, <laughs> this is a bad stat for the Buccaneers. Uh, this is per next gen stats against the Saints and Buccaneers blitz on 22 dropbacks and failed to generate any pressures. The most blitzes will let up pressure in the next gen stats era since 2016. Uh, Falcons don't blitz a lot. That's not DMPs' thing. DMPs yeah. is late secondary movement, flipping you out with disguises. And neither Simeon nor Taysom Hill is really going to go well with that. So yeah. it's an inch, you know, um, I imagine the Calvin, I, I think Ridley's going to be out for a while. Yeah. You know? And no matter what certain people are saying on stupid morning shows, uh, that's okay. That's you okay. Take a mental health break. It's okay. Yep. And anyone who doesn't think so, whether you played in the or not, just maybe, you know, take a lap. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so interesting game there. And, you know, the same, I can't say enough about, you know, the, the, 
and everyone's saying this, can't say enough about the coaching job Sean Payton's doing. Um, they're five and two, they're second in the NFC South, but I don't, and Michael Thomas is not out for the year. Yep. They're kind of going on the 2015 Broncos game plan, which is our defense had better our play at a historic will... rate because we got nothing. Yep. Yep. They'll have enough this week, but yeah, it's, it's a uh, long-term situation. That was zombie Peyton Manning and a, you know, all-time great defense and a pretty good run game. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a tough way to win a Super Bowl. But, you know, it has happened recently. It once. has happened recently. And, you know, you could get to the dance and sometimes all you need is the invite. Raiders at Giants. Um, I'm going to pass on saying anything about rugs. Uh, I don't, it, it's not a football story. Somebody died. Yeah. A person died. A dog died. The person who died was apparently burned alive. Yeah. yeah. The guy was using his card as, as a missile and he was impaired while he did it. I yeah. Uh, Giants. Is there anything we can take from the Giants' defensive game plan against Mahomes, or was that just Mahomes? Because kind of, Patrick Graham is really good. Uh, they're they're DC. yeah. Patrick Graham is really good, but I don't um, think. It's... And I don't. You know, apparently the headphone problems don't affect him. Right. Interesting. Um, I don't think there's really anything you could take from, from the Giants performance that hasn't already been said about w- what's going on with the Chiefs. And we, we can sort of save the Chiefs for later. I mean, James Bradbury played pretty well in that game um, from what I saw. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the main story with the Chiefs is the, the deeper underlying issues with that offense. It's not just, oh, teams are showing them too high and they can't figure it out. It, it's deeper than that. Um. Odell Beckham Jr. would be a very interesting Raider. He would be a very in that in that in that particular offense. Um, obviously, they have an opening, yeah, uh, for whatever reason, and Odell would fit it pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> Patriots of Panthers, Stephon Gilmore revenge game. Woohoo! Uh, this is where I want you to get into your article on sniffers because okay. you, you brought up the Panthers defense and um, is Sam Donald starting? I think that's still up in the air. I mean, not like, that it matters, you know. Um, Bill was very multiple in his coverages against Justin Herbert. It was like, wow. Yeah, like, it was weird. Hello, after, Adrian Phillips. After the game, Herbert said that it was a lot of too high that they weren't expecting. But then when you rewatch it, the interceptions he threw were all in single high moments. Like They, they did a lot of different stuff against them, which – I thought I, I expected going in, it was going to be heavy single high because you look at his splits too high, you know, middle field open versus middle field close Herbert much better against middle field open, which might make some sense when you consider what he practiced against all preseason was probably, you know, Brandon Staley's middle field open stuff. And so I was surprised that Herbert came out and said that Keenan Allen then sort of said, Oh, well, you know, it wasn't anything that we hadn't seen before. Like we just didn't execute it. So do we have, you know, some grumblings up, you know, down there? I don't know. Um, well, when we get into the chart, I want to ask more about that, but getting yeah. back to the, you know, Patriots, Panthers, whoever it is. And Darnold is kind of in that Jared Goff vapor lock thing. So this is not a good matchup for whoever plays quarterback. No, it's not. And the other thing is, look, You've see, we've seen this before. A Bill Belichick team, as the calendar page flips to November, suddenly seeming like they're figuring things out. It's obviously a little bit different this year because you're doing it with a rookie quarterback, who I also think is figuring things out. As who is not know. playing like a rookie quarterback right now. No, and you know you watch him. 
Against the charges, he completed like 51% of his passes, but an expected completion percentage of 63. So he actually missed on stuff by the numbers. But I think when you watch that game and dive into it, I did a long video on it, like 21 minutes over Pat's pulpit. Orlovsky's talked about it. There are some throws and decisions that he made in that game that I think he wouldn't have made three weeks ago. Like yeah. the deep shot to Aguilar early in the game, it was curl flat to the front side. The, the flat route's wide open because they basically they're trying to man cover it. And the guy on the inside that's trying to get to the flat ends up by the time Jones looks at it, double in the curl from Hunter Henry three weeks ago, two weeks ago, Jones probably just throws the easy flat route. If it's first and 10, you'd probably be okay with it. Now he comes off of it, looks backside, finds that deep over route and throws it. He had a, a well, he's shown there. those expansive downfield moments that that's been a thing. Yeah. Since early on. Yeah. And if you're sort of a Benjamin Solak, a dot over everything kind of guy, his average depth of target right now over the past couple of weeks is the same as Herbert is the same as Mahomes. I mean, it's 8.0 and that's not where he was a couple of weeks ago. And so Jones no. is figuring out the Patriots, I think are figuring some things out. They've got a somewhat favorable schedule over the next couple of weeks, culminating in that week 13 Monday nighter at Buffalo, which is before their bye week. They have the late bye. Am I going to talk myself into New England making some sort of Super Bowl run? Absolutely not. But they do seem to be putting it together right now. How are they using Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, the whole two tight end thing? Because they signed them with, oh, it's back to, you know. Whatever. Henry's been more of their vertical guy. Smith's been more of their flat check down chip and release guy. Like, the which is kind of what we thought. About. Yeah. I mean, the play I just talked about, you had Henry on the deeper curl, you had Smith sort of releasing to the flat. I mean, that's a lot of what I've seen. You've had, they've done more Y ISO stuff that I've seen with Henry than with Smith. They've used Smith, to, Smith at times out of the backfield. You know, they had a play against the jets early in that game where he came out of the backfield and, you know, they're doing some, different things with them they're mixing them around a little bit but generally speaking i've seen more henry on the vertical stuff smith on the shallower stuff uh i know before i think it was last season belichick would not shut up about what a great blocker smith was is he are they using him as yeah. that too yeah he's more the their blocker guy like you know he's more if you want to use the hernandez gronkowski analogy i don't think it's as you know it's an easy one-to-one -one, but smith's more the gronk one henry's the more hernandez one right now uh, Bills at Jaguars. I don't really have anything here. Uh, the, the Bills enter week nine, leading the league in scoring offense and scoring defense. Um, teams to lead the league in scoring offense and scoring defense through week eight. Bills this year, Patriots in 2019, Chicago Bears in 2006, Chicago Bears in 1985. Since 1970, only two teams finished the season leading the league in both categories, the 96 Packers and the 72 Dolphins. We saw how their seasons worked out. So yeah. my prediction is still there. Yep. <laughs> um, Vikings at Ravens, Kirk Cousins, Ugg. Yeah. That's all I had, Kirk Cousins, yeah. Ugg. Yeah. Uh, the Ravens were on a bye last week. So, Dr. Schofield, let's go back and amplify how much Lamar Jackson has improved as a pure passer this season because it's really kind of remarkable. And yeah. people forget a lot in a week. People do forget a lot in a week. Um you know, and it's not to say that Jackson was a bad passer from pocket. That Jackson no, was a bad. He passer was actually one of the best in twenty nineteen. In twenty nineteen, he was one of the best pocket passers in the pocket. And then last year, he didn't have a pocket. Right. So yeah, but it, it is it is still fair to say that even a good guy can get better. 
And that's what we've seen this year from Jackson, a very good quarterback from the pocket who also has the added benefits of being able to create out of structure and, you know, turn what could be 19 yard sacks into 30 yard runs. Now he's doing a bit more from the pocket in terms of using his eyes and manipulating defenders and reading stuff out and making anticipation throws and working front side to backside and the kinds of things that you might see us praising, you know, Matthew Stafford for or another quarterback for. Lamar's doing that stuff now too. Like Lamar has gone from a very intriguing quarterback prospect who was a better pocket passer than people gave him credit for at Louisville to an MVP in 2019 where he was a good pocket passer by NFL standards but still could improve to the now fully assembled death star of quarterback play. Like that's where he is right now. And so, um, you know, he's become one of those quarterbacks that when my Monday morning begins, I want to sit down and watch it. Like, you know, you add, you know, him to the list of the guys like Matthew Stafford, who you want to watch, or the guys like Kyler Murray that you want to watch right now, or Patrick Mahomes during his sort of best moments. Like, that's where Lamar is right now. I think, well, right now, Wink just does not give a bleep. Uh, no, that deal. too. Uh, will blitz and blitz and blitz and blitz. And it's, it, it's, it's almost 85 Bears-ish to bring yeah. 85 Bears up again. Where or the Rex packages or Jeff Fisher, where you you take the forty six as a sub package and you make it part of your defense and you run more zone than Buddy Ryan did. But the Ravens really are a feaster fan with that. They pressure a ton. They're not really good in coverage behind it, and that and that's been kind of an Achilles heel of the season. Well, Kirk Cousins, uh, oh God, yards per attempt under pressure three point five. Yeah, not great. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. He's got a passer rating of 63 under pressure, 119.1 without pressure. And it's just he was underneath, underneath. Yep. Well, I don't know how well that's going to work because one part of Wink's blitz concepts is he'll drop backers into those, you know, free zones, hit the hot, you know, your crow flat or your, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I think this is one of those games where Kirk Cousins is going to need to transcend himself. And, yeah. you know, he's not doing that right now. Earlier I think we've season, seen that movie before. Yeah. Earlier in the season, I, I might've been able to make a case that he could do it, but he's, he's not doing it right now. Water finds its own level. So yep. do quarterback. Yeah. So it is uh, since the days of the aqueducts chargers at Eagles. Justin Herbert seems to be a little unnerved by multiple coverages and pressures in ways I did not see last year. Or is that he looked perplexed against the Ravens' pressures and Belichick threw in all kinds of different coverages at him? Was it more a rough stretch than a – I hate blueprint um, because the Ravens and Patriots obviously play defense very different ways. Yeah. Is he struggling in ways you didn't see last year? I think that's part of it. I, I think that's part of it. You know, it was And what are those things? It was two different game plans. I mean, with the Ravens, it was pressure stuff, which was different than we saw last year because one of the more impressive things about Herbert last year was how he handled pressure in the Couldn't pressure him. You couldn't play man against him. Those were two things. And the Ravens were able to do it a couple weeks ago. They were able to pressure him. They were able to play man behind it with some of their zero and one blitz packages, and he couldn't quite make throws. And then, you know, against Bill Belichick and the Patriots, it was more – cover one stuff, cover two, cover four. Like they switched coverages of cover three. They really showed a bunch of different looks. 
behind what they were doing up front, which was stunts and twists, which we had done last year against them, which got them their 45 nothing victory. I think the other thing that's going on here, Seth Galina talked about this this week. Others have talked about it as well. You know, Lenardi's offense has kind of put the training wheels back on in a sense. They're not really. There's a big, lot of underneath. There's a there's lot, a lot of, of underneath lot, stuff. Which and, for a guy who has that kind of, and the thing about Herbert is he has a deep arm and he can move, but he's very composed yeah. in those deep ball movement situations where a lot of quarterbacks, hi Patrick, um, are, are really kind of intermittent hit and miss. Yeah, they need to get back to more of that stuff because right now you're sort of hamstringing this guy. You're turning a guy that was great in the downfield passing game, throwing against leverage, creating on the move, creating off of structure. You think back to look back at that Browns game when they had a lot of those types of plays, those sort yeah. of you know, deeper shot plays past couple of weeks. They've kind of, it's looked more like the underneath Lombardi type stuff. You know, Galena made the, 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 they're, they're taking this guy and turning them into Drew Brees, but that's not his strength, um, which is a very good point. A good way to look at it. You know, they need to get back to that sort of downfield attack versus leverage attack in the vertical passing game type of offense. Yeah. Well, they're training him into Drew Brees, unfortunately, in his last couple of years and Brees didn't have an arm anymore. Yeah, and, and, and so that's sort of the problem right now. So I, I, I'd like to see the offense sort of adjust a little bit, um, get more downfield, but yeah, that's the issue right now. I don't really have anything more to say about Jalen Hurts until he stops leaving the pocket nation. Yeah, I mean, look. It's really they, getting problematic. Yeah, I'm starting I mean, to wonder if this is a fatal flaw. I'm not there yet, but it certainly looks like it could be. Because it happens every week, and there, there's there's concepts there to be had, and I think this is also a lot of stuff is happening to Mahomes. We're going to talk about. I'll I'll just segue into Packers Chiefs right now because this yeah. is going to we got a lot to go over here, kids. Um, Mahomes has that same thing. Uh, this yep. is per Next Gen Stats. Mahomes against uh, the Giants, he completed all 15 of his passes that were caught behind the line of scrimmage for 121 yards. The most completions behind the LOS by any quarterback in a game since 2016. So when we say, oh, my God, the Chiefs aren't doing anything to help Patrick Mahomes. Well, they should run the ball more, but they are trying to get him, you know, dinky RPO stuff, at least uh, on extended plays four or more seconds this season. He has five interceptions, which is tied for the most in the NFL. Um and that, to me, is really the whole biscuit. Uh, Mahomes yeah. finished with a completed air yards average of two. Lowest in week eight, lowest for Mahomes over the past two seasons, third lowest in, in 2021. Um, we can go over why did you get all these power counter trap gap guys and you're not running the ball when all of these guys are better run blockers. All five of their offensive linemen are better run blockers than pass blockers, um, including Joe Tooney. I, I think you would agree. Yeah. Or maybe you wouldn't. I don't know, but. No, I mean, I would. It's I mean, Tudor's great all around, but yeah. I mean, he's a great player all around, and he is playing well this year. But I, I mean, like early in the season with the Chiefs going, man, they are they are they're opening some holes in the run game. They're leaving some holes in pass pro. Um, you start to wonder if something in that Super Bowl happened to Mahomes where he's like, I have to do everything now. Number one, my pass pro is weird. Number two, my defense absolutely sucks. And why Daniel Sorensen is on the field, I don't know, but I know Jordan Love is going to hope that that happens. Um, and this is a guy who – he got the structure of Andy's offense. Um, talking to some people this week, it, it's – and 
you know, kind of my conclusion too, from having talked to him before he was drafted, he's back at Texas Tech in his head where I have to throw eight touchdowns because the the other offense is going to score seven. Yeah. And if that means I have to vomit the ball downfield into God knows what eight times, I'm going to do it. I don't, I'm Patrick effing Mahomes and that's who I am. I mean, I don't know how you fix that in season because Andy Reid's not a moron. Eric Bieniemy is not an idiot. I'm sure that, and Patrick Mahomes is one of the smartest players I've ever talked to. Um, they've all sat down together, I'm sure, and said, okay, these things are a problem. Yeah. I I'm don't sure know they've how you, done that. I don't know how you fix it in season, and I don't think Melvin Ingram is going to be the band-aid that stops the bleeding here because <laughs> it does start on the defensive side of the ball. Well, now, the, and I wrote about this this week, the one thing, God, I hope, Melvin Ingram does is force Steve Spagnuolo to move Chris Jones back inside. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest that's so that's your the ripple biggest benefit of the move. Yeah, yeah. Is, you're, gonna, you're not going to see him lined up as a seven technique the rest of the way. Or, and he, Ingram, I mean, Frank Clark has been an absolute um, – Pete Ingram might be their best pass rusher, which is another problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. He feels like he has to score a touchdown on every throw. Um, the, the thing that concerns me is the bailing from clean pockets. We just talked about it with Jalen Hurts, but he's doing it's really I mean, he wasn't doing he wasn't right doing now. it this much at tech. No. This is the most I've ever seen him do it. And I wonder if it is a just a protracted sort of trauma from the Super Bowl. I mean, maybe, or maybe it's just a look, you know, when I hit my final step in the draw, a lot of times stuff isn't open. It's, because here's it's, the other thing that, that Todd Bowles did in that super, he didn't blitz a lot and he still got pressure. Crap's on it too high. Well, okay, I'm going to say it again, and we can argue what we want about whatever. Um, everyone's playing too high. Everyone's playing two-man, two-man, two-man. They are daring you to run the ball, and you're not doing it. That's where the coaching is presenting a disservice to Mahomes. Now, I think this is a 90% Mahomes problem. Yeah. But that other 10% is that's on Reed and the enemy and everyone in that room. Because yeah. Derek Gore, you can run the ball with Derek Gore. Um, why do you go away from that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a 90% defense problem. I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it. It's the defense is so bad that it's made Mahomes do things that he shouldn't be doing. And, you know, is he playing well? No. But again, I, I think it gets back to the fact that he feels he has to throw a touchdown on every throw. Well, I that also flips. Right. I mean, it doesn't help the defense that Mahomes is turning the ball over at a league high rate. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay. Everything flips together. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you would expect them to just come out and run the ball more. You'd expect them to really sort of keep the football on the ground and try to force teams to get out of that too high look. Now you might not get them to do it, you know. And Reed might be looking at it as, you know, we're just playing into their hands if we play along. We're playing into their hands if we run the football. At this point, you might have to just go along and do it. If you play into their hands and it works, who cares? Yeah. And here's the other thing. How many in your head, how many times have you seen Mahomes see an underneath opening and bail on it in favor of either getting sacked, or running out of the pocket, or throwing deep and missing? More uh, than I have since tech. Yeah. So if you want to go Bill Walsh and okay, the, the pass is a run, and that's how you want to sustain drives, I don't care how you sustain drives. If you can figure out a way to punt the football to sustain drives. Who gives a crap? 
but you have to do it. Yeah. Especially when your defense is epically awful. You have to take your, your defense is hammering you money. Your offense has to take the profit. Yeah. That's that. I think that's fair. Uh, on the other side of the ball, I'm going to say about the Aaron Rodgers thing. I find it in, endlessly interesting that NFL quarterbacks who prepare as maniacally as any athletes on earth to perform at insanely high levels view a proven strategy to counter COVID at its worst with the wisdom you'd expect from the team of, of alcohol obliterated frat boys. But that's just me. Yeah. Uh, so I updated, we updated the, the video you done, Jordan Love. I, when it was pre, like, I think it was in May, I wrote a piece just because he didn't play it all last year. <laughs> but back to this college tape, I'm going to give you a brief version of my scouting report, and I'm going to ask you what you think. Uh, where Love struggled at the college level was with timing and rhythm. He would hit his schemed open targets pretty reliably, but he was by no means a tight window thrower. And there were times when he did have a schemed opening, and he lacked the anticipation and accuracy to get the ball where it needed to be, not just for yards after the catch, but for the ability to catch the ball at all. When you have a 61.9% completion rate over a full season in the Mountain West Conference, this is generally why. Uh, I grew up in Denver. I'm not, you know, maligning the Mountain West Conference. Uh, he's not a timing rhythm quarterback. He's pretty good with open targets. He tends to waste pitches when his targets are covered. And the imperative is to zing the ball in there with expert timing. Um, his advantage, of course, is that he's going up against the Chiefs defense and Maybe Spagnuolo will gift him with love, Daniel Sorensen snaps. But what, where are you with love from what you've seen? No, I mean, I, I think that's all pretty accurate. Um, you know, obviously he has a very good arm. Um, that's going to help him acclimate to life on an NFL field and an actual NFL game. Um, timing and rhythm isn't really his thing. You know, he's got somebody that has supreme confidence in that arm. And sometimes he feels that will give him an extra second to read something out and see it come open. And that can get you into trouble in the NFL. Now, thankfully for him, it's a week where he's going up against the defense that has turned opposing passers into a MVP candidate. I, I think prior to the Giants game, NFL passers were averaging like 8.2 yard adjusted yards per attempt against that defense. That's fifth in the NFL right now if you would make that a generic NFL quarterback. And so he's got a favorable situation to make his NFL debut against. He'll probably make some mistakes. Will this Chiefs offense then capitalize on those mistakes that he makes? Or will the defense even start to capitalize on those mistakes to begin with? Uh, QBR against 105.9, which is the fifth worst. Jaguars, Lions, Washington, Falcons, and Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, weird. And, yeah, with Rodgers, I just (laughs) – Well, let me ask you this. Um. I mean, you were a lawyer in a, in a previous life, which I know you don't like to talk about because it <laughs> you want to jump off a building. Right. Um, and I, I, this is off the cuff and, you know, I'm, I'm just throwing stuff out there. If, if he lied to the team about his vaccination status and then he's doing pressers with no mask and he's talking to opposing players after the game with no mask, I mean, is there liability there? I don't know where that stands. I mean, there's potential, but I think the reporting that I read said that the team was aware of his vaccination status. And that actually might even make it worse because. Well, that may, then now the team's liable. Yeah, I, I think that's where this is going because apparently, and it was, you know, Rob Demosky who had the report out that basically said he tried some sort of other method 
of immunization, which he wanted to get approved by the NFL to count as being a vaccinated player, that was denied. The team was aware of it. So the team has been aware that his status in the league's eyes is at that of an unvaccinated player. And that's why the NFL is going to be investigating whether the team knowingly violated COVID protocols when you see him, you know, not wearing a mask because if you're an unvaccinated player or if you're, as he puts it, immunized, but you're unvaccinated in the the eyes of the league, then you have to be wearing a mask. You have to be going through the protocols. You are treated as an unvaccinated player. He wasn't doing that. Well, we'll see what that, you know. Packers are a great team. Uh, defense has improved a lot. We'll see if that comes I mean, back to bite them later in the year. This could look if he's out, he could be out two weeks. Yes. You know, because I think day 10 is Saturday of next Saturday. Week. It's a, yeah, I think that's and um is that when they play the Seahawks? Yeah. Russell Wilson could be back for that game. No, I mean if if they you don't want to lose, you don't want to lose to the Seahawks because your quarterback is, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you end up dropping two games as a result of this, which is theoretically possible, not saying it will happen, but it's theoretically possible, that could cost you the first overall seed. That could cost you the single buy. I mean, and yeah, uh, given yeah. his uh, uh, so a team that could not triumph over the Packers, Cardinals at 49ers. Cardinals did not take my suggestion. I, I did a thing on five trades that should happen but won't. Uh, I suggested the Cardinals they give up a second round pick to the Eagles for Fletcher Cox, who was available apparently and not really happy with Jonathan Gannon. I, it, just to, uh, Cox wasn't the only player last week who kind of went off on Gannon. Uh, I know you do the QB factory reboot, so you probably watch more Eagles tape than I do. Is there anything to that? I Beyond think, the inverted cover too, which I think. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think there was it. some stuff to that. I think against the Lions, they were a bit more versatile with their looks. They were well, a bit more varied with their stuff. Now we see if it sticks. Maybe it was the, look, now we can try it. We can see if it works. It works. So maybe they continue doing it going forward. But yeah, I mean, you, you watch that Eagles defense. You talk to anybody that covers the Eagles more in depth than I do. And they'll be like, yeah, it's 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 too static. It's It's very much like the Bengals we were talking about at the start of the show. And when you're playing the Lions offense, that you know, if the wacky stuff in the back of the playbook, that's when you try it. So anyway, yeah. Uh, against the Packers from zero tech to four tech, head up over center to head up over the tackles. Arizona gave up 151 yards, 99 yards after contact, and touchdown on 34 attempts. Guess how many attempts the Packers had? 34. Yeah. They were all inside. Yeah. They didn't run outside once. Now, yeah. this is it. They're both the Cardinals and the Rams are seven and one and every team has a fatal flaw, you know, potentially fatal flaw. This is obviously Arizona's and the, you know how I feel. I think you feel the same way about, Oh, all you have to do is run the ball consistently. You can keep the other quarterback off the field. And then when he's on the field, you can force him to panic. That happened in this game to Kyler Murray. So uh, the 49ers last time I checked pretty good inside the run game. Yeah, they can run the ball. Um, you know, they can I, run the ball everywhere out of every possible formation. And God, when Jimmy Garoppolo was scoring rushing touchdowns, what the hell do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm still not ready to like get overly worried about the Cardinals yet. Um, you know, I'm not I, worried in season. I'm worried in playoffs. But yeah, they, I mean, I, this I, is I, where I, we start to spin it forward. Okay, is this going to mess you up in the playoffs? Well, like. 
we'll see where if you had to play the the Packers again. Yeah, I mean that that's I think you know in talking to some people about this team, they're probably good enough to get to the playoffs, but are they one and done because of it? I, th- I think that's sort of the conversation about the Cardinals right now, because, you know, you get to the playoffs where, you know, every possession is sort of a critical moment. Um, you know, if you're giving up these kinds of running plays, if you're going up against a team that's just going to be able to pound you down with the run game on the inside, the way that we saw Green Bay do, that could be the kind of fatal flaw that like prevents them from getting beyond just a single playoff game. And this is not a J.J. Watt problem. This is not a problem that's going to be solved by J.J. Watt being healthy. I, I looked up the SIS numbers. Cardinals were actually better against the run when Watt was off the field. Watt is yeah, a yeah. Watt is a interior and outside because he plays edge a lot. He's a pass rusher, right. so he's not him not being there is not the problem. No, um, the problem is the guys they've got, and it's not working. So, right. you know, um, and then on the other side of the ball. I mean, Garoppolo is not going to have a fun time against this defense. Did you see? Um, I've seen two plays now this year where Isaiah Simmons basically acted as a shutdown cornerback. There was a yeah. play against Tyler Higby against the Rams, and then he followed Aaron Jones up. The, I, I haven't seen a linebacker do that since Miles Jack in college. That was right. really interesting. Uh, Arizona's defense, all kinds of fronts. You've got those three linebackers. I keep saying it. They can do anything they want with their fronts. Um, you know, when Aaron Rodgers was throwing, it didn't look that good. So this, yeah, this mean, for Rodgers had, had Rodgers had some. I mean, they really did a lot where they sort of kept everything. It was it was almost like the Mike White game plan. There was a lot of stuff underneath. They were trying a lot of stuff to get the ball out of his hands. And quickly. by the way, when Rodgers comes back, his deep ball has been a serious problem this year. Yeah, it's yeah, a we, big problem. I don't know if it's injury or what, but it's anyway. Yeah. Um. We need to give some love to Debo Samuel, by the way. He is playing out of his flipping yeah, he's mind extremely well. with God knows what. I don't know what Trey Lance, Garoppolo, what, whoever. Um, I mean, if you adjust for receiver or adjust for quarterback, not many guys doing it better than Debo at all levels of the field. It's not just a you know jet motion, take it five yards, and it's actually a run play. Um, he's a downfield threat, too. So. Go Debo. Uh, Titans at Rams. If you're Todd Downing, you got Derrick Henry out for at least the rest of the and, – and the thing about this Jones fracture, I know Brian Baldinger talked about it on his podcast. He had it. And what he said was, if you don't give the player the full time to recover, you will never really get over it. You will never be the player you were. So this may be it for Henry this season, no matter how far the Titans go. And they're the one seed right now. In yep. the AFC, um, this may be it. So if you're Todd Downing, what do you do? I'll tell you one thing you do is you give Ryan Tannehill more play action. Uh, in 2020, 110 of 177 for 1703 yards, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions, and a pass rating of 130.9. Ryan Tannehill with play action in 2021, 48 of 76 for 773 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and a pass rating of 99.3. You go from Arthur Smith to someone else, that's that's going to happen. I think the plan this year was we're going to pair Julio with A.J. Brown. We're just going to be vertical, and then we're just going to kick the crap out of everyone with the run game, and that worked. Now you don't have a run game. Adrian Peterson, whatever. You don't have that run game. There's no one else in the league 
I mean, unless you could somehow trade for Nick Chubb or maybe Javante Williams, no one else is going to give you even 70% of that. You have to, and this, this is your entire offensive identity. So running backs don't matter. Throw that out the window. We're about to find out how much they do matter. If you're Todd Downing, how do you get past this? Because your run game went from 80 to 20. Yeah. And there's nothing, there's nothing really schematic that you can do to change that. No, there isn't. And, you know, the thing with the idea of running backs not mattering and things like that. Well, Deontay Lee wrote a great piece, how we're going to see this offense sort of change. He wrote it over pro football focus. And, you know, when you sort of look at their percentage of snaps on early downs, it's all, it's been Derrick Henry. Now you're going to get other guys over the, you know, the past couple of season, the success level just will not be there. You know, well, let me get... see what the numbers are. Uh, Derrick Henry on first down this season, a league leading 131 carries for a league leading 639 yards, a league leading 477 yards after contact, a league leading seven touchdowns, seven touchdowns on first down and 4.9 yards per carry. So when he runs the ball, they're averaging second and 5.1. A lot more of the playbook is open to you. Yeah, but you're going to get a very sort of similar situation that we're seeing in Kansas City, right? You know, because when Henry's on the field, you are playing single high. You were dropping one of those safeties down in the box. You know, Deontay pointed it out. You know, Tannehill and Henry see single high 69% of the time. Like, you know, that's a big number. You know, as you're going Ooh. to see a lot more cover two. You're going to see a lot more of that too high stuff. Oh, boy. This is not good. Ryan Tannehill against too high this season, 59 of 81 for eight, 663 yards. 413 air yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. Yeah. I mean, and that's what defense is going to do. You're going to say, look, you know, we don't need to worry about Derrick Henry right now. We don't have to worry about number 27, right? No, I mean, number 22 right now. So we are going to keep that second safety deep, dare you to beat us via the pass. He's never seemed like a 22 to me. He's just so – these yeah. little guys like that should have numbers in their 30s or maybe yeah. even in their 40s. Uh, speaking of guys with numbers in their 40s, Von Miller yeah. owns the third highest pressure rate this season at 17.6%. Uh, since 2016, he's one of three players to generate 14-plus uh, percent pressure rate in at least five seasons. The other ones are Aaron Donald and Robert Quinn. Oh, Von Miller and Aaron Donald. Let's, let's yeah. put them together. And let's have the Titans rely on their passing game because they kind of have to. Oops. Yeah. And, you know... I often try to put myself in the mind of, okay, you're an opposing offensive coordinator. You're in this case, Ton Downer. I mean, what do you do when those three are on the field? Like when you've got Aaron Donald in the middle, Floyd at one edge, Vaughn Miller at the other, like where are you sliding protections? Are you going full slide to one of those guys? Are you going, are you basing that up? Are you going half man and leaving one of those guys in a one-on-one situation? Are you keeping one or both, you know, the tight end of the back end? Like, how do you handle that sort of three-man look, which you, you're going to see a ton of? Because prior to this trade, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd had combined for 46% of the Rams sacks, 42%, I think, of their pressures. Now you add Vaughn Miller into the other side. Like, that's that's a lot to deal with, and that forces you as an offensive coordinator to try to answer a lot of very difficult questions. Ryan Tannehill... Let's see. He uh, he actually ranks fifth in dropbacks of zero to three steps. Uh, 
120 of 180 for 1237 yards, 734 yard air yards. Eight touchdowns, six interceptions. I mean, to me, a lot of your protection is not going to be who you go with because they run a lot of different, you know, like the the bear base and all that. Right. Um, you cannot block Aaron Donald or Von Miller through conventional means, and they've got other guys who are really good too. Um, your your protection is the quick passing game and let AJ Brown yak them to death, which they can do. Um, you know, Jalen is obviously there. Darius Williams is underrated. Uh, you hope Julio is healthy enough to take advantage of that. But to me, a lot of their run game comes from, you know, to me, it's, it's receiver screens and, you know, bubble stuff and, and just yeah. get the ball to these behemoths because that's what you wanted to do in the first place. That's why you, you got AJ Brown. That's why you, you know, you, you picked up Julio Jones. That's why you did these things. Well, now you need them more than ever. You essentially make them both mini Derrick Henrys and you turn a lot of your passing game into a running game. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what you have to do. You have to, in a sense, look like the early Patriots, right? Where the short ball control passing game was your run game. Like that, that's what you're going to have to do to sort of get around the situation. And perhaps not just this week, like going forward, you might have to see, that's how the Titans sort of overcome the loss of Derrick Henry is your, your three-step quick game stuff. Your receiver screen game stuff is your run game. I don't getting Oh, um, so yeah. Uh, so anyway, bears at Steelers. From next gen stats, Justin Fields with four of four for 40 yards and a touchdown on design rollouts. He picked up 89 of his 103 rushing yards on scrambles. Did this coincide with a certain head coach being at God knows we don't wish this on anybody. Right. So let's throw COVID out. Can we tell Matt Nagy that, that Hallis Hall is on a different street for whatever reason you are the bears. The bears have been around since 1920 as the Decatur Staley's. They've never fired a coach in season. It's not what they do. And of course, George Hallis was not going to fire himself for, you know, 700 years. Uh, the McCaskies ain't gonna do it. No, nope. put them in carbonite like Han Solo, and good God, I mean, what yeah, what more I do mean, we need? You, you because saw- that was again, it was like when Laser called the passing game earlier in the season, and it wasn't quite as expansive route wise. But they decided, oh, we're going to use Justin Fields as a runner. I mean, it it was that, but it was also some of the stuff that he did in the pocket that really yes. sort of stood out to me. Yes. Like, Yes. Okay. Look, so some of the like throws on the move, the touchdown run, that scramble. Yeah. It's wow. That's Justin Fields. That's fantastic. He can make bang but, tight window throws, not consistently, yeah, not consistently, but, but they're there. Yeah. They are there and they're not like, you know, so let him do them more things. often so he can be consistent. Yeah. Moron. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you want to see a variation of what we were talking about with Justin Herbert earlier. Right. A more vertical based passing game that allows him to make some leverage throws and sort of combine that almost like the Stefanski offense with Baker. Right. Yeah. Or the Ravens offense or the Niners offense. That kind of it's vertical based. I mean, no, he had some the the throw to Godwin on the third and 13, like the 12, 17 mark. I mean, that's just a gun drop velocity hit, throw ball out tight kind of window throw that 
it's a deeper throw downfield where he has an extra half second or so to read it out, which he needs right now as all young quarterbacks do. So, yeah, I mean, it, this was a much better version of Justin Fields than we had seen. This was the Justin Fields that people like myself were hoping to see um, when he was coming out. So whatever it takes to get this guy each week, you do it. If that means, like you said, taking Matt Nagy, dipping him into frozen carbonite, you do it. Because if you think slant flat is going to work against the Steelers, uh, no. No, no. Um, yeah. So uh, it, when you can, when you can dispose of Melvin Ingram that easily, because you know, you've got uh, Highsmith has been great and TJ Watt, obviously, I don't know what Stefan to I don't, is he up for the season or he's been out for a while. He's been out for a while. Hugely underrated guy. And Cam Hayward is playing at like thermonuclear 2017 Cam Hayward level. Um, no. and I mean, see, but there have been a couple seasons where if it weren't for Aaron Donald, we'd be talking about Cam Hayward as like the best defensive tackle of his generation and a slam dunk Hall of Famer, which I think he is anyway. But this is uh, it makes me want to do a tape piece on Hayward because every time I watch it, it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, but see, that's the fear, though, right? Like as you start talking about that defense and this defensive front and the things that they can do, what might be their response? It's the same thing we just talked about with the Titans. They're going to go three-step quick game. And Make the game. mesh point a problem. Yeah, I, yeah. Make the mesh point when you have you're going up against a defense that aggressive. The linebacker thing is kind of in flux. Um, you know, if you if you play dime and drop Minka as a linebacker, but you make the mesh point a problem. This yeah. because that's what that's what uh, Fields did at Ohio State. And yes, your head coach is not, he's, you know, he thinks he's the second coming of Bill Walsh and whatever. Um, do what makes your quarterback comfortable. Yeah. I know that's socialism and whatnot, but. Yeah. But yeah. that's what we, I mean, hey, we started talking about Zach Wilson and John Beck. So there you go. There you go. Who was Fields quarterback guy? Do you know? Did he have uh, a performance coach? John Beck, John Beck scripted his pro day. Oh, Okay. Well, so now that that's going to be Beck's problem. But, but he, can't he, also, be, he can't be in seven places at once. But I think he did some stuff with Quincy Avery as well. Um, you know, and so what if Beck has to be like um, if the Bears play the Jets and does he go to the Bears sideline for their offense and the Jets for their? Yeah, I don't know. You got to think of these, you know, little. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, man. Any more thoughts from you? I am tapped out for the day, my friend. Okay, uh, week nine in bunches. Here it comes, folks, and we will talk to you next week.